Hello and welcome to the Shameless Podcast Book Club. In April, we tucked into the heart-shattering 2016 novel It Ends With Us by Colleen Hoover. It Ends With Us tells the story of an unusual love triangle between protagonist Lily, her first high school romance Atlas, and neurosurgeon Ryle. It's a page-turning bestseller that explores the dynamics of physically abusive relationships and how the cycle of violence needs to be broken despite the crushing heartbreak that inevitably follows. We have so much to talk about, but first, I need to introduce my wonderful co-hosts, Zara McDonald. Hello, Annabelle Lee. Hello. Hi. Hi. How are we? <laughs> Sad after this book. <laughs> Very ready to chat about it, though. I have to say, I'm really looking forward to having this conversation with you both. As am I. Before we get into it, we need to hear from listener Jade. Hi, guys. I wasn't too excited going into it because I'd previously read a Colleen Hoover book before and I didn't really enjoy it. And unfortunately, I didn't really enjoy this one. I really appreciated the messaging about domestic violence, and I think it's an important read on that level. But in terms of the actual storyline, I thought it was super predictable. All right. So Jade generally doesn't find herself gravitating towards Colleen Hoover novels, guys. I don't know about you guys, but this was actually my first Colleen Hoover read. Is that the same for you, Zara? Yeah, 100%. I actually hadn't heard of Colleen Hoover before I read this book, but I had seen it all over our book club before we picked it for April. And I think that was one of the big reasons that we wanted to pick it is we thought there are so many people talking about this. Let's dive into it. If you listening hadn't heard of Colleen Hoover either, she's 41. She's the author of over 20 novels and novellas. So she's done a lot of writing, Annabelle. Have you read any of them either? No, I have not. And Jade's voicemail makes me feel like such a rookie reader because I (laughs) never, ever think I can predict it. I never predict it properly. Yeah, 100%. (laughs) But no, I've never heard of Colleen Hoover. And I actually, to jump straight in, really enjoyed this book. And I really, really enjoyed the way that she writes. What about you, Mish? I really enjoyed it as well. I think I will be diving into her back catalogue, given there are so many incredible titles in it that have performed so, so well. What I loved when I read about Colleen Hoover's career before we get into It Ends With Us is that she is very much a self-made woman in that she worked as a social worker. She has a degree in social work. She was born in Texas, was working in social work, was working as a teacher sometimes too. And then in 2012 thought, you know what? I want to become an author. I am going to self-publish a book. And for anyone not in the industry, to self-publish and to create your own path and just give it a go anyway and edit your own work and print your own work and put it out into the world is not only a brave decision to make because I feel like some industry experts turn their nose up a bit at self-published books, it also is just a colossal task for a human to take on. Insane. She was 31 at the time. She had three kids and I, I found it very interesting. I read in an interview with her that she said she got married and had children at a really young age and her quote was, I couldn't afford to take those kinds of chances so I got a safe job so I could support my family. Mm. Writing was her first love. She said it was through high school but it was never something that she could actually afford to do. So she waited till much later in life to do it. That is so impressive. So her first book, as you said, was self-published. It was called Slammed. And before that, she'd never read a romance before. Which is crazy. I know. So she told Pop Sugar, she said this, I uploaded it to Amazon and the categories I chose were drama and poetry. Then all these people were calling it a romance book. And I was like, what? That's a romance (laughs) novel? Because in my head, romance was like the Harlequin romances that my mum used to read. So this term new adult genre, after researching today about this book, I realised that this is my genre. This is the book that I gravitate towards. Yeah. Is the book that kind of like 
follows a young adult mm. figuring it out because I think that's what I'm so telling. I was gonna, it's like a 20 something, right? Yeah. And she really does seem to find her heartland based on what I've read and I've researched her heartland in this decade and in the decade that comes after it, your 30s. But her first self-published book reached the New York Times bestseller list. I'm just so fucking impressed. This is the kind <laughs> of story that fills my cup and makes my soul feel happy. A hundred percent. I also find it even more remarkable that she writes so much about romance and she says that so many of the threads in her book are romantic ones. Given she's been with her partner since she's 16, she married him at 20 and openly says she's never had her heart broken. So she's like, apart from this book, I think the book that we're going to talk about, It Ends With Us, was something that she pulled on personal experience from. Apart from this book, it very much sounds like she just makes it up in her mind and yet it's so convincing and so successful. We say it every week, but fuck authors having incredible imaginations and incredible abilities to tell stories even when those stories aren't their own. You probably just need to be a really emotionally intelligent, observant person, which is clearly what she is. Go Colleen. I know. (laughs) So Atria Books published It Ends With Us on August 2nd, 2016, and Hoover did describe this novel as by far the hardest book she's ever written. Yeah, we're going to get into this right now. Before we move off, can I just mention she's like an author-influencer hybrid at the moment. She's followed by 322,000 people on Instagram. Go, go. 500,000 followers on Facebook. This author seems to have more of a cult following than practically anyone apart from maybe Taylor Jenkins Reid that we've covered. So I feel like if we have any negative opinions, we might have some people come for us. (laughs) It's a safe space, guys. We can all have our thoughts on this book. Everything's going to be okay. Hi, girls. I missed last month's book club, so I was glad to have the time and space to read this month's book and I devoured it in one day absolutely loved the style of writing, loved the characters, loved the plot, was sometimes a bit fantastical, but what an absolutely brilliant read. Looking forward to hearing your thoughts. That was listener Ash, guys. She clearly strongly disagrees with listener Jade. She adored it. Annabelle, Mm. I'll start with you. I think in this segment, I really want to get both of your opinions on the first half of the book. So given it was, what, 380 pages or something, let's hear about your first 180, 190. Right. So I loved the first half. I loved the first half and the second half of the book for different reasons. The first half I thought was very cheesy, but in a good way. It was kind of like sweet because I didn't actually know much about the book before I read it. So I actually liked Ryle for the first half. I thought he was quite charismatic, albeit a bit of a bad boy, but I thought that that's the picture she was trying to paint. Ryle is the bad boy. Atlas is the kind-hearted, beautiful man who's no longer in Lily's life but will probably come back. <laughs> so it yeah. sounds like you really got swept up and you're like, I'm just having a good time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is just a classic love triangle. <laughs> what about you, Zara? I enjoyed the first half of the book. I agree with you. I found parts of it, like even just the writing, a tiny bit cliche. There was like a line early where I think Ryle said to Lily, your lips are as red as your hair. And I, I remember... <laughs> I remember actually stopping on that page trying to picture lips that were so red that they like rivaled the colour of her hair. Uh, you she know, should see a doctor. Yeah, that, I, is that healthy? Like, that you, sounds like some kind of deficiency yeah, or something. It's just like, you know, when you, you kind of take yourself out of the book because you start thinking about lines yeah. like that. I think for me, though... I actually read this, I think, perhaps with a different perspective than maybe both of you because I think I had the book spoiled for me in some part accidentally before I jumped in. By who? Name and shame. 
I will not name and shame, but I, when we had picked this, someone had told me, oh, this will be really great because there's like very strong domestic violence storylines in here. And even though we know very early that there's a, a really strong domestic violence thread with Lily's parents, it just didn't feel enough to me. I was like, I feel like more is coming. And I think because of that, I was just a bit wary for the first half of the book. You know, when your eyes mm. are a bit squinty and you're thinking like, what is going to happen? And I, my mind was racing a little bit. Yeah. On the voicemail referring to fantastical themes, like you just said, Zara, I have to agree. I think, first of all, the names of the fucking characters, <laughs> like Lily Bloom, <laughs> Ryle Kincaid and Atlas. Like, is that really what we're doing? I read a funny review that was like, this is such a classic. We've got a neurosurgeon and a homeless guy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> not, like, what the fuck? Yeah, and it kind of felt like a daytime movie. I found that sometimes in this book I was being pulled out of the narrative because I didn't quite buy the details. One such detail was the ages. Like, I didn't really buy that Lily was this 23-year-old who wanted to go to Vegas and get married. I didn't buy that she was falling in love with a neurosurgeon who, based on me having a sister who's a doctor, I know how long it takes intimately to get to the point where you are a qualified working neurosurgeon. And it's like years and years and years. So Ryle has to be at the minimum in his early 30s. But that never seemed to be touched upon. But I just imagined him as early 30s. Did you, Annabelle? Yeah. The thing about his profession that I found weird was that he, like, he did seem tired after shifts and stuff, but he was, like, always there. I'm like, go to work, man. (laughs) People need you. All you do is talk about how busy you are, except you're a key (laughs) player in this story. I will say I also thought Ryle in the early pages gave me strong Edward Cullen vibes. I almost felt like I was reading Twilight, but the 2016 non-vampire, non-werewolf version I felt like it was very much the boyfriend who's obsessed with you and he's got so much rage and like inner turmoil he's like destroying a chair and I was kind of reading it being like teenage Michelle might have loved this but adult Michelle is like I find that kind of masculinity to be a little bit toxic I'm exactly the same it's definitely not the kind of guy that I would go for like that certain Mm. level of aggression even just when we're first introduced to Ral and he's like kicking over a chair and don't get me wrong like he does have a more stressful job than I even though he's not real Um, (laughs) but like like that aggression from the start, I was like, I'm not drawn to people who have that. And I think beyond that, Ryle felt a little bit hard to trust from the beginning. I think the stereotype of this guy who's in my mind in his early 30s, who's never had a girlfriend, but not just never having a girlfriend, refusing, going out of his way to refuse to spend time with people for more than a night, really piqued my interest regarding what kind of person that he was. They spoke a lot about how successful they both are. Yeah, Ryle gave me major fuckboy vibes. Yeah. In Yeah, not a good way, but to me, he just seemed like a character that I could get around. Like he was interesting for the first half. He was certainly interesting. I do have one grab because I should put on the record, I actually very much loved this book, but when you are analysing it to such a degree, you usually pull out the stuff that you have question marks on. So I'll put a disclaimer on the record now. The naked truth thing. <laughs> no, I actually, I actually liked that. It was cheesy. It was so cheesy. But I, I like cheese. <laughs> am I cheesy? I didn't once read really? any of that and think that's really cheesy. I've got to say I found the letters to Ellen. And again, I loved this book. I'm excited to hear all of our ratings. But yes, I have question marks. The Ellen letter writing as a narrative device to tell the story of Atlas felt a bit forced to me, particularly the intro lines before the letters where it's like, I stare at the open box of letters and I find my hand moving towards them. I find myself reading and I can't stop. Like that kind of stuff. I'm like, 
You could just do a flashback scene and take us to that. I don't need the letter and the rereading of the letter to be a literal thing that takes me back to Atlas. I didn't mind the letter. It was a bit random though. Like I, <laughs> I did make me stop and think again, like you guys said, it took me out of the book because I was like picturing Colleen Hoover coming up with this idea of the Ellen letters and being like, yeah, let's run with that. And like, <laughs> let's mention the Finding Dory just keep swimming thing. Yeah, but I really didn't mind it that much. Like it is interesting. Interesting going back in time and and obviously this book was published in 2016 given Ellen has been through so much controversy and it was interesting being put in a place where you remember the time where Ellen was as godly as Oprah almost. Mm. Like she was considered incredible. And I think the, the only thing that I thought is I actually find some authors don't pull off the back and forth in timelines very well and it can be very clunky. And this was very clear to me. She was writing to Ellen. I knew what year I was like looking <laughs> Sarah's at. Sarah's like, I need this to be as clear as day. <laughs> I want it, Thank I you. I do want it to be clear. <laughs> that said, I did have two main gripes, even though I generally enjoyed the letters. Two things. A kid probably wouldn't write or articulate themselves (laughs) as well as Lily did. I am so glad you said that. Or nor would there be that level of detail. Like if you're just writing a letter to Ellen, you're not putting every detail required to tell this story. I refuse to believe that teenagers write letters anything close to what these letters read like. The other thing I often skipped past that I quickly skim read was in the Ellen diaries when she sort of like acknowledged Ellen things like Portia or on yesterday's show. I was like, I understand you need this to like prove that she's writing to Ellen, but it does not impact the story (laughs) at all. Like loved that segment, Ellen. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, I'm out. (laughs) I cannot get past this segment or this section of the episode without bringing up my biggest gripe from the first half of the book. And that was the flower shop. (laughs) This flower shop could not have been commercially successful with the branding that it had. I just refuse to believe that anyone would shop here or that it would make like the top 10 list of best businesses in Boston. Can I please read a couple of passages about the flower shop? Go for it. This is on page 46. Okay, I say. What if, instead of showcasing the sweet side of flowers, we showcased the villainous side? (laughs) Instead of pink accents, we used darker colours, like a deep purple or even black. And instead of just spring and life, we also celebrate winter and death. All I imagined was this flower shop that was sort of like deep purple, black and silver, like accents of silver. And I was like, this is the least sexy flower shop in the world. I've got a take. Don't you think it's like the rile of flower shops? (laughs) I don't care. You can communicate darkness without making me envisage dark purple walls. I'm never going to get around purple walls. Yeah, nor am I. Another snippet, please, please, about the flower shop. This is from page 160. What are you doing to those poor flowers? Alyssa asks from behind me. I clamp another silver washer closed and slide it down the stem. Steampunk. We both (laughs) stand back and admire the bouquet. At least I hope she's looking at it with admiration. It turned out better than I thought it would. I used Flora's dip dye to turn some white roses deep purple. (laughs) Then I decorated the stems with different steampunk elements like tiny metal washers and gears and even superglued a small clock to the brown leather strap that is holding the bouquet together. I sound so ugly. I'm so sorry. And Alyssa was like desperate for the bouquet after. Anyway. I mean, based off the amount you've read about the flower shop, it sounds to me like you enjoy it. <laughs> I know. I liked it. I didn't mind it. I also thought because I don't actually know much about flowers, I was like, maybe people are into this. Maybe there would be a market for this kind of flower. Come tell us. We're on Instagram <laughs> at the Shameless Book Club. If you would buy these flowers, I don't think you and I would get along very well. No, not at all. The one thing that I want to touch on from the first half of the book before before we move on is the sex because there was so much of it in this book. 
I thought she wrote it quite well. Agreed. I agreed. She actually did in that same interview with Pop Sugar mentioned this. She hates writing about sex. She said, it's really awkward for me. You know what happens during sex. You know what's going on. You don't have to know which part down there he's touching. You don't You don't need the detail. <laughs> so considering that, Colleen, I think you did a great job. She did an amazing job. So she said in that interview, I read that interview too, that there are like go-to words she will refuse to use when she's writing about sex. So she said in that interview, you can just say something like, he touched me gently, dot, dot, dot. I don't know. See, I can't even talk about it. <laughs> For someone so awkward about talking about sex, she writes so well. I've got to agree. It was pretty good. There was lots of sex and it got me right through the book very, very quickly. Guys, coming up after the break, which characters landed and which ones didn't? Plus, we need to deep dive into the intricacies of a storyline about domestic violence. But first, a word from today's sponsor. All right, guys, let's hear from listener Maddie. Hi, girls. I just turned the final page of this month's book club pick and I am honestly speechless. It was such an incredible and powerful read. I am in awe of Colleen Hoover's writing and she's created a masterpiece in It Ends With Us. What a woman and what a read. All right, guys, very happy to hear that Maddie did not waste her time or her money with this month's book club. (laughs) Let's talk about the characters now. We've talked about the first half of the book, but in its entirety, what characters landed with you? What characters didn't land? Zara, let's start with the positive stuff. Who was your favourite character? Well, this is a hard one because I thought, A, there weren't many characters, to be totally honest with you. Like we've done a few books throughout this book club and I would say this is the book that had the least amount of characters for me. There's also none, to be honest, that really, really stood out to me as a character that I loved the most. The one that I'm most desperate to talk about is Alyssa. She confused me to no end. She was so nice, almost too nice, actually, that I almost kept bracing myself to turn around and do something a bit fucked. Like in the end, I enjoyed her character. I think she was exactly the person you would want in your life as a friend and as a sister-in-law if you were going through something that Lily is going through. But I didn't have time to enjoy that or sit with that because I was just like waiting the whole time for a ball to drop. I never really thought much about Alyssa while I was reading about her throughout the book. I wrote here in my notes, Alyssa was okay. (laughs) Because as you said, by the end, I really thought she handled her role in both Lily and Ryle's life really well. Like it would be hard. I don't know anyone who would be able to be a best friend to someone and also a sister to someone who is a little bit fucked up. Totally. I don't know if I'm expecting too much from Alyssa, but it was clear, like there were suggestions in the earlier parts of the book that Alyssa was suspicious or Alyssa had had experiences where Ryle had been abusive to romantic partners. Did you get that sense? I got that sense that he just wasn't a good partner, but I never got a hint that it was abuse. I felt like her, like I remember there was this passage where her eyes went to Lily's scar or like her thing on her face as if Alyssa was asking a question, hinting at the fact that she might have suspicions or might know. I definitely got the impression from this book that Alyssa suspected that Ryle might be violent towards her or at least when it was revealed that in fact Ryle was being violent. Alyssa didn't seem to be that shocked. She even had excuses like off the bat was like, Ryle, you need to tell her about your history as if he does this because of this thing in his past and Alyssa instantly made that connection. So if this was the first time he'd ever 
assaulted a woman, I don't think Alyssa would instantly go, he does this because of X. Well, then I would have expected her, if that was the case, to actually warn Lily against him. But then I guess that would have kind of ruined the whole book and we wouldn't have had a story. Mm. Yeah, I think if you're that close with your brother, you would have to know that he has tendencies to be violent. Do you reckon, though? I reckon a lot of people who maybe have violent family members, I mean, we know how common domestic violence is in this country. I just reckon there'd be a lot of family members who wouldn't know until after the fact. Mm. And I'd be very interested to hear from the listeners, both in our book club, Facebook group, but also on our Instagram page. Did you think Alyssa knew this was a side of her brother or not? Because I don't think we're going to get onto the same page in this discussion. For me, I've got to talk about another character that confused me. Devin, the gay friend who <laughs> took her to Annabelle. I'm like scrolling through my mind list of characters. I have no idea who Devin is. He was the friend that took Lily to the party where oh, she like yes. connected with Ryle for the first time. And they made out on the bed. He just popped up out of nowhere. Yeah. He's just kind of like, oh, yeah, Devin, that guy I used to work with. And then we just never really heard from him again. It just felt like some characters in this book were so unfleshed out. Like I couldn't make sense of it. I kind of think he served his purpose, though. He needed to go to the party with her so she didn't look like she was just randomly turning up and then he left. Like I didn't mind. <laughs> to be fair, I wasn't intrigued by Devin. I didn't really want to hear anything else from him. So at I least, thought that was fine. At least mentioned him a couple more times, though. He literally like wasn't mentioned again <laughs> in the rest of the book. But that was also a gripe that leads into my problems with the character of Lily. I liked Lily. I thought she was a good character. But her life pre-Ryle was very unfleshed out again. Yes, we knew about Atlas, but like did Lily have any friends from primary school or high school or a cousin or like it just seemed like the only people in her life were her mother, Ryle and Atlas. And if that's the truth, then did Lily have like a loneliness problem? Was she socially anxious? The author never hinted towards that. It was almost like we've got so much plot to get through, we simply don't have time to even explore the characters involved. Well, it's interesting because when at the very end of the book, when Lily says to Atlas, why didn't you come and find me? And he said, I did, but you were in this big group of people and you were being cuddled by a boyfriend. I was like, wait, Lily was popular? (laughs) Like she was the centre of something Mm. because we never heard from something like that. Yeah, I agree. I feel like Lily was fine as a central character. And apart from A Lonely Girl is a Dangerous Thing where the main character wasn't quite likeable, I do think generally likeable characters are fine. Like they serve their purpose and that's that. The character that I did love was Atlas. I think we're all on the same page with Atlas because I think he was designed to be everyone's favourite, especially because a lot of the other characters like Ryle were kind of, I want to say caricatures. Mm. They were very like predictable, whereas Atlas just seemed like a very real person. Atlas felt so fresh. The perspective of a boy who found himself homeless is not one that I've ever read in a fiction book, I don't think, and I very, very much enjoyed hearing about his story and hearing about how he found himself at 18, kind of in limbo land, right? Like he was too old to be adopted or go into the foster care system, but too young to really be able to start his adult life yet. And I think that was such a believable story from Colleen Hoover that I could really see his character. I also think the detail that he had hit rock bottom and went to that house to end his life was a really touching point and a really powerful storyline that I hadn't considered and that I think gave the story some real depth. Yeah, Atlas was one of the main things that really pulled me through this book because I was desperate to work out when he was going to come back because you just knew he was going to come back. And it's like, well, you also kind of knew that they were going to end up together, didn't you? But you wanted to know how. So I really adored him. I mean, 
Marshall, given there's only like five characters in this book, <laughs> Marshall hardly had any airtime, but he seemed like sweet and believable. Marshall's just like this fuck off tech entrepreneur that we know nothing else about. But whenever I picture Marshall now, I just picture him in a onesie, like a bit of a <laughs> dork. But that's kind of it. I picture Marshall from um, Hammer E Mother. Right. Oh, I pictured a little guy, not a big oh. guy. I pictured a big guy in a onesie, kind of now that you've put it there, Annabelle, kind of like Marshall there from How go. I Met Your Mother. I mean, it's an easy link to make. Yeah. It's not like I... Now that we've touched on Marshall, though, let's talk about Ryle quickly. I think another indication that Ryle was going to be violent or going to have a very dark side to his character to me, was when Marshall mentioned how upset Ryle was that he was dating his sister. I felt like there were very clear indications that Ryle was not the person we thought he was when the story of how angry he was that his best friend would dare to sleep with his sister, the picture hanging up in the apartment of Lily randomly felt really obsessive and weird. Like I felt like there were so many indications that this guy was a bit strange when it came to developing attachments to women. Well, yeah, I was going to say it does speak to attitudes towards women and a certain possessiveness, particularly the kind of guy that cracks it when one of his friends starts dating his sister. And I think the point was made in the book, like, wouldn't you want one of your closest friends to be the one dating your sister because you know what they're like? Yeah, agree. Also, the fact that he was a neurosurgeon, I hate to say it again, after coming off fresh from Yumiko Kodota's book, Emotional Female, where she talks about what a lot of male surgeons are like. I instantly read neurosurgeon and thought he's going to be a dick. No offence to any neurosurgeons listening. I don't think we'll have many male neurosurgeons (laughs) listening to Shameless Book Club. But instantly I thought this guy is going to be a narcissist because that's the kind of guy I read in Emotional Female. So instantly my guard was up and instantly I was waiting for the worst. Hi, girls. It Ends With Us was a roller coaster of ratings for me. But by the end, my opinion completely changed and I gave it a really high rating. I think it's really important as someone who fortunately so far in my life has not been touched by domestic violence that this book is important to read because it clearly demonstrates why it is so difficult for a woman to leave any sort of situation like this. That was listener Ashley Guy's Annabelle, let's start with you. The domestic violence storyline was the crux of this book. How do you feel about the way it communicated domestically violent relationships? I think it was very beautiful in a way, powerful, I should say, in that I agree with Ashley. I don't know what it's like being in the mind of someone who has to deal with being in love with someone who's hurting you, justifying staying, justifying leaving. But when I finished the book, I was left with so many mixed feelings until I read the author's note and then it all kind of tied together for me. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. Because before that, I felt like Colleen was writing Ryle in a way that made us empathise with him. And I didn't really like that I was feeling that way. But then the ending made me feel like that was less of an easy tie because it was a real life reflection of Colleen's life. Totally. That would have been a really hard way to write someone, I think, Mm. especially given the history that she had with her own dad. I mean, I found the acknowledgement on the first page before we even opened the book really piqued my interest. She wrote, for my father, who tried his very best not to be his worst, and for my mother, who made sure we never saw him at his worst. Like that in itself, before I walked into this book or entered into this book, I was like, that's incredibly powerful. I wanted to read something very quickly from her author's note from page 372, because I think this was for me when it really came full circle, like the title came full circle, the story came full circle. She wrote, 
I sometimes wonder how different my life would have been if my mother had not made the choice she did. She left someone she loved so that her daughters would never think that kind of relationship was okay. She wasn't rescued by another man, a knight in shining armor. She took the initiative to leave my father on her own, knowing she was about to embark on a completely different kind of struggle with added stress as a single mother. Mm. I thought that was really beautiful given that she did put Lily and Atlas together at the end. And I think that point was quite salient. It's like, I didn't put them together because Atlas is there to save her. I put them together because she'd already made this incredibly difficult choice. She'd already kind of gone out on her own as a single mother and then she eventually deserved to be happy. And I've got to say, despite what I thought were flaws in this book, the ending was so powerful and so special that it still made it such an incredible read for me. Like the tie-in with the last line and the title of the book, it ends with us. It suddenly was like this kind of gut punch to be like, oh my God, what a beautiful, poignant way to put it that she's staring at her baby girl and going, I'm not going to let this cycle continue with you. I'm going to break the cycle even when it breaks my heart. I thought it was absolutely remarkable the way that Colleen Hoover communicated this and her author note made me cry like I I didn't really cry throughout the book but then I read her author note and I heard the the story that her father once broke his hand because he punched her mother in the head Ah. so hard like that kind of detail just absolutely sucks the life out of you I do want to touch on one thing and I know this is complicated and I want to acknowledge I'm not an expert in the field at all in any way when it comes to how trauma affects you later in life and maybe affects your relationship with violence or anger. But I do have a slight problem with not teasing out the nature of Ryle's violence. I feel like because Ryle had this traumatic childhood experience of shooting his brother accidentally and the brother dying, that was very, very tightly tied with his abuse of Lily. And I struggle with that because I couldn't quite make the connection of, okay, so maybe maybe his experience with violence as a child and that traumatic experience makes him a violent man. Why does it only seem to make him a violent man in relation to his female romantic partner? Is Ryle a violent man to other men? And there was no communication of that in any way. I feel like if he was violent towards people and had these blackouts towards people, I'd get it and I'd actually be more sympathetic and compassionate to him. But because Ryle had this weird parallel storyline where he actually was just a bit weird with women in general and a bit strained with his connection to his sister when she was dating Marshall and to Lily with the photograph and the obsessiveness and the getting married super quickly, it made it feel a little bit too neat for me and I'm not sure I buy that I sympathise with Ryle that he had this traumatic experience and now he assaults women. Why is it just women? Well, this is a thing for me because I am also no expert in this and I'm no expert in trauma, but it did feel like quite a stretch for me that this would be given as a reason for why he treats people or treats women in the way that he does now. Like it just simply didn't add up for me. But I think that was kind of the only part of this storyline that wasn't really believable. Like so many parts of this felt real, which is not to say I think that the dynamic between Lily and Ryle is what happens to every couple who go Mm. through similar things, but it is to say that I feel like something like this could happen to a couple. I think the scene between Lily and her mother at the very end of the book when she was telling her mother about the abuse was so powerful too when her mum turned around and said, never lose sight of your limit and how she lost sight of hers felt like a real... I don't know if I want to say flick of the switch, but I felt like, oh my God, of course that's exactly what would happen. Like you would have your limit. Everyone has their limits. And then the limits just suddenly change and change and change. And then the more time that goes past, the harder it is to even know what your limit is. Yeah. It's all about perspective, I guess, isn't it? I actually want to read out a quote from page 356 
Because when you were talking about Ryle perhaps having some warped views about women and that is kind of different to being violent towards everyone. Yeah, well, like, is it an anger issue or a women issue? Exactly. I think the explanation on page 356 by Lily to Ryle when she's saying, I want a divorce, is really interesting. She said, Ryle, what would you do if one of these days this little girl looked up at you and she said, Daddy, my boyfriend hit me? What would you say to her, Ryle? And she goes on to explain more intense versions of domestic violence and what if that would happen to our daughter. And it kind of reminded me of the ScoMo Jenny thing that has happened recently that happened when I was reading this book. Why does... Lily needs to be the strong one here and explain to him that this could happen to our daughter. Like, why did she need to explain to him that this could happen to a woman in our life that we care about for him to care that violence against women is a bad thing? Yeah, I totally agree with that. I feel like that's where perhaps this book really fell down for me. It was like this light switch moment for him to be like, oh, yes, I I wouldn't want my daughter to do that. That didn't fall down for me at all. That seemed completely believable. We absolutely live in a world where men who are even not even doing things as bad as Ryle are only ever considering their actions or the actions of other people when it relates to women they know. That felt believable. I'm thinking about it from a feminist political standpoint instead of a like believability realism standpoint now where I'm like, fuck, it's so annoying that you can see this happening and he doesn't even realise or doesn't seem to care when it's Lily that he's punching or pushing. Like he cares once he's like a part of this person that he's holding in his arms. I just would find it really interesting. Like, did Ryle ever hit Marshall? Did Ryle ever get angry at clubs? Tell me more. I haven't gotten enough to buy why it's just Lily that's getting hurt here. I wanted to end by asking you both a question about one of the lines that they reeled out a couple of times in this book. And it was, there's no such thing as bad people. We are all just people who sometimes do bad things. What do you guys think about that as a concept? Oh, This is something that I've thought about before because I'm a law student and we talk about like wrongs and everything and, and crimes, obviously. I don't think there's a black and white answer for this I mean like it depends on how bad the wrong thing is yeah Yeah, I think everyone's definitions will change I think on a very basic simplistic level I agree I also think as uncomfortable as I am with some of the lines or some of the stories in this book I think ultimately we get further and we make more helpful change when we are compassionate to people who do awful things or when we do try and understand why the awful things happen. I think it would be a mistake for anyone to assume that any man who is violent against his romantic partner is evil because I think when we do that with men who are violent against women, whether that's sexual assault or whether it's domestic violence, we create the monster myth. And I think as soon as we create the monster myth, we find ourselves in a place where we just write off people and go, oh, well, they're beyond repair we can't rehabilitate them. It's always going to be this way. And as soon as we begin to believe people just are this way, this is unchanging, we are committing ourselves to a perpetuating cycle of violence against women forever. And I personally don't subscribe to that. I believe compassion towards people like Ryle is necessary because it potentially leads to their rehabilitation. It's just so uncomfortable to read it as a woman and so uncomfortable to open yourself up to that because it's incredibly hard to sympathise with men who kill the women that they supposedly are supposed to love. Yeah, I agree with both of you. I think the only issue that I had with this line is not the line itself. I think all you have to do is spend a little bit of time like reading about understanding the criminal justice system even in our country to know that people who quote unquote do bad things have a myriad of reasons why Mm. they do. 
But I didn't like how this was thrown around so often in this book as like a hard and fast rule. Like it felt far too simplistic to be just sitting in this book every so often almost to just, I don't know, work as an excuse. I don't know. I just felt weird about it always being in there. Because there are people who go through a lot of shit and don't do bad things. So it's not an excuse. It's not hard and fast at all. Why aren't any of us researchers in trauma? I need someone to sit here and be like, this is the connection or the connection's bullshit and we actually shouldn't perpetuate the thing that just because you've been through shit stuff in life, you're going to continue that shit stuff to other people. Yeah, I agree. Hey, I reckon we're going to have some experts anyway who are listening to this, which will be very helpful. As Mish said earlier, we are on Instagram at the Shameless Book Club and on Facebook at Shameless Book Club. So please come in with your thoughts there. Guys, we need to do ratings. My favourite part of every episode. Annabelle Lee, let's start with you. A rating. We've changed this in the last month. Now that we're on Instagram, we've realised putting 10 stars in a graphic (laughs) and trying to fill them out looked fucking messy, I'll be honest. Now we're doing star ratings out of five, but we can do half stars. So give me a rating. Right. I'm going to give it a five. Yeah. I think that this was like not only a very powerful story, but it just was very informative as well. Like I learned a lot about an experience that I haven't experienced myself. And that's why it was the complete package for me. Nice work. I'll give it a four and a half. Mm. I, upon closing the book, I've got to be honest, I would have given it a four and a half. Now that I've kind of sat with my thoughts about how I do find some of the storyline a bit disjointed, potentially harmful to perpetuate, I've got to downgrade it to a four, I think. Now that I've sat and done this conversation, I think I came in thinking four and a half, but now I've thought about it more deeply, a four. This is what's interesting about doing book club though, because I don't analyse any books as much as I analyse the ones we actually talk about on mic. And you're going to find issues with everything. So it's like, do you give the rating based on the experience of reading it? Or do you give the rating based on the experience of reading it and the conversation later? I give mine based on the experience of reading. We disagree. I know. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to our April instalment of The Shameless Book Club. Next month, we will be reading a book we have all been desperate to dive into for a few years now called Swing Time by Zadie Smith. Published in 2016. Again, guys, 2016 was a bad year for like the world, but a good year for publishing apparently. Swing Time was Zadie Smith's fifth novel and according to a Guardian review, her finest. The book follows two girls growing up on the wrong side of London who meet at a community dance class and dream of being dancers, but only one of them has the talent. How's this line from the blurb? Above all, it's a tale of the friendships that anchor us, define us and change us forever. We can't wait for this one. As always, if you want to support the show, hit follow on Spotify or subscribe on Apple. If you are feeling particularly generous, leave us a five-star review as well. We are on Instagram at The Shameless Book Club, where we can continue the many conversations we had today. We will see you guys next month. See you then. Toodles. Bye. Bye. Toodles. Fresh. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. 
there is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.